Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones and this is episode 46. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about the use of CBDs, the medicinal component of the marijuana plant for pets, explain what vestibular disease in dogs is, and then discuss bone cancer in dogs, what it is, and the top holistic options. Now Veterinary Secrets is on iTunes. You can go to iTunes and search for Veterinary Secrets. We're also on Stitcher and Podbean. You can download the apps and search for Veterinary Secrets. If you've yet to do so, I'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can do so on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And lastly, if you've yet to do so, I encourage you to get a copy of my free book and three free videos. They're at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news. Now let's get right into today's podcast. Cannabidiol or CBDs. Well, if you've followed the recent push to legalize marijuana and the corresponding wave of media coverage, you're probably familiar with cannabidiol, otherwise known as CBD. Various studies cite the medicinal benefits of CBDs, although the number of scientifically rigorous studies are definitely lacking. It's primarily due to all the big restrictions that, that have been placed on researching marijuana. Suffice to say, though, CBD has since just permeated the consciousness of us uh, throughout North America, throughout the world, and believe it or not now, it's now even available on Amazon. You need to know more about it. CBD, it has an important role to play in the future of veterinary medicine. CBD is a primary component of the cannabis plant. It is non-psychoactive, means that it doesn't produce the high commonly associated with marijuana. Um, Currently, it's being used by many patients, both people and animals, who seek an alternative form of therapy without the unwanted side effects of many many typical drugs. So where exactly do CBDs come from? CBD is extracted and separated from specific varieties of cannabis, often known as hemp. Chemically, CBD is one of 85 chemical substances known as cannabinoids, which are all found in the cannabis plant. CBD is the second most abundant compound in hemp, typically representing up to 40% of extracts, and the biggest component is THC. CBD is legal, right? Well, contrary to popular belief, federally, CBD is still not regulated, both here in Canada and in the United States. In the U.S., there's the Controlled Substances Act of 1970, and it still applies. Any component of the marijuana plant, including CBD, is still still listed as a Schedule 1 drug. In Canada, it's much the same. Um, There still isn't a federal law as of yet. So legally, we really are in this gray zone. You know, the small community where I live, there are actually eight dispensaries, believe it or not. And one of the many things they are selling is CBDs. Yet federally, in Canada, the government has promised that there's going to be legislation, um, very much so throughout the United States too. Just we're currently sitting in this gray zone. But that being said, it doesn't stop you as a pet owner from looking at some alternative forms of therapy to treat your dog, especially if we're looking at something that is effective and safe. So here are some big important things you should be aware of um, in terms of the potential uses of CBD for your dogs. First of all, for nausea, dogs and our cats. There's compelling studies have shown that CBDs can be powerful and effective in preventing and suppressing nausea. Further research has shown that CBD suppresses nausea caused by disease or medication. You know, such as animals getting chemotherapy and nausea that pets can feel in response to a condition event, you know, such as those having car sickness. Researchers have found that the expression of the conditioned retching reaction was completely suppressed by pretreatment with CBD. Furthermore, studies indicate chronic use of CBD has not been shown to elicit negative side effects 
and does not induce tolerance. Secondly, for arthritis, CBD has been shown to have potent antiarthritic therapeutic action, resulting in both joint protection and clinical sign improvement. Oral, oral CBD has a beneficial action on two symptoms of established inflammation, swelling and sensitivity to pain. Furthermore, studies indicate chronic use of CBD has not been shown to elicit negative side effects and non-inducing tolerance. Our animals that have seizures, especially our dogs, um, in part, we're looking at a couple of different conventional medications, phenobarbital, um, potassium bromide, which can induce tolerance, have no question have secondary side effects. So this is some new interesting studies. Research has shown that CBD may inhibit both seizure activity and the severity of such activity. Such studies have pointed to CBD being of potential therapeutic use in the treatment of epilepsy. Studies also indicate that the use of CBD in conjunction with certain anti-seizure medications may enhance the anticonvulsant effects of those drugs, you know, such as using it with phenobarbital or sodium bromide. Furthermore, studies indicate that chronic use, they've shown once again, it doesn't have any negative side effects and it's not going to induce tolerance. And the last big use I see for using in our animals is for anxiety. They note that CBD has a selective anxiolytic effect and CBD was associated with significantly decreased subjective anxiety. Studies indicate, you know, once again, it's not going to have many side effects and then doesn't induce tolerance. So pretty important stuff, you know, especially if you've got an animal out there that is epileptic and you're looking at some options. You've got an animal that might be on something like chemotherapy for cancer. We're going to look at an anti-nausea treatment um, or some of our older guys with serious arthritis and you're looking, is there any alternative options? So currently there's a veterinary company called Vet CBD. You can Google it after today's podcast and look at it. Um, they've formulated a product that is veterinary formulated for pets. No high, it's non-psychoactive. It's an all-natural product sourced from the full flower. We use the same high-quality cannabis grown for human consumption. It's olive-based, pet-safe, nothing added, like there's no sugar, alcohol, or solvents that isn't necessary all the ingredients are human medical grade. It's been lab tested for quality, safety, and efficacy. Some of the suggested uses are for pain, anxiety, you know, such as separation anxiety, noise anxiety, etc. Inflammation, such as those with inflammation from arthritis, nausea, loss of appetite, and for seizures. So if you're interested at all, so it comes as an, as an oral dosing liquid, something how you might give some of the um, the other oral meds, such as giving, a, you know, the oral anti-inflammatory meloxicam, for instance, and have a look at it. And you can also obviously be talking to your veterinarian about it. The next part of today's podcast is about vestibular disease. So what is it? Well, the signs of vestibular disease in your dog are affecting balance, stumbling and staggering, a head tilt to one side, an involuntary flickering of the eyes from side to side, circling, falling to one side, possible droopy eyelids. In people, you can liken this to vertigo. You may lose your balance with a serious inner ear infection or a head cold. What are the causes? Well, the vestibular area of your pet is what controls balance. It allows your pet to walk without falling, and it sends the signals to allow your pet's limbs and eyes to move correctly. The causes can vary. It can be idiopathic, where there's no known cause, only inflammation of this area of the brain, the vestibular apparatus, or it can be caused by a tumor, an inner ear infection, or an emboli, a blood clot. This idiopathic or geriatric vestibular disease is the most common cause. Where we don't know the cause, we know it's just local inflammation. So what should you be doing if this is happening with your dog? First of all, if you see this acute onset, you should get a veterinary exam. But here's some pretty simple solutions without going into big tests, etc. First of all, you can consider just waiting it out. You know, if you've got an older dog that gets a sudden onset of vestibular signs, your dog most likely has idiopathic or geriatric vestibular disease. Generally, this condition will improve within three days and likely fully resolve in seven to 14 
15 days. While the inflammation resolves, ensure that your dog is eating and drinking normally. To your veterinarian, no question, getting a veterinary exam is a great idea, especially to rule any other serious secondary causes. Um, some other options you can consider. Um, one, there's a product called Vertigo Heal, uh, made by Heal USA. It's been useful for geriatric clients with vestibular designs, and it may be helpful in our dogs. A typical dog dose is 10 milligrams twice daily. Um, there's a product called AF Algae for senior pets has been widely used to increase mental well-being and contains a large number of known and unknown compounds that are antidepressant, antihistaminic, omega-3 fatty acids. There's a few different homeopathics that you consider. One is called Rustox. It's from the homeopathic poison ivy. It's been useful in geriatric conditions such as skin rashes, arthritis, and in vertigo. The dose is 130c capsule per 10 to 20 pounds of body weight every 8 hours. And the other homeopathic is gelsemium. The other homeopathic ones to consider include cerebrum as well. We're looking at doses of 130c capsules for 10 to 20 pounds of body weight every 12 hours. A couple different herbs you can consider. One is ginkgo. It's useful for increasing blood flow to the brain and may be helpful for vestibular disease, secondary to inflammation. The ginkgo dose is 25 milligrams per 20 pounds of body weight twice daily. Curcumin, this is a big key one. It's, it's found in the spice turmeric. Most of us have it in our house. Um, the big point is you want to be using the 95% curcuminoids and we're looking at doses of 100 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. Um, it's a pretty key one and I think if I would have a dog, again, that has vestibular disease, um, I'd be adding in curcumin as well. Um, a couple other ones you want to consider, because we also want your dog to feel less nauseous. And it's very common. Imagine yourself spinning, and that's often what they're feeling in vestibular disease. So you look at also adding in ginger root. It's a real simple thing. You could just make up a ginger root tea, add that to their water, or else dose them like a tea where you just make a, you know, a, a small 250 mils or a cup of um, ginger where you're, just, you're taking two tablespoons of ground ginger root, turning that into a tea, and then dosing your dog. And I typically look up doses of about a teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. You can look at using Bach Rescue Remedy. Sometimes that's really good anti-nausea one. So you can give that as oral drops directly into your pet's mouth. And when I look about one drop per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily, Lastly, you can also then consider gravel. It's another great you know, anti-nausea, anti-vomiting drug. So the gravel dose for cats is 12.5 milligrams or a quarter of a 50 milligram tablet. For dogs, we're looking at 6 milligrams per 10 pounds, which is about a half of a 50 milligram tablet for 40 pounds of body weight given twice daily. Lastly here, if your pet is not eating or drinking, first of all, we need to get fluid into them. So if they're not drinking at all, then you need to be looking either forcing water into their mouth, where you're going to get a 30 to 60 ml syringe from a veterinarian. Ideally, you're also going to get an electrolyte mixture, so something like Pedialyte, or just ask your veterinarian for something similar. And when we're looking at the amounts to give to our pets, generally, generally I'm looking at approximately about a half a cup of fluid. So a safe rule of thumb, you're going to you're going to dose it over a slow period of time. But then generally, you're trying to actually keep your dog or your cat normally hydrated while they're not drinking at all. And so either one, you're, you, need, you need to be giving enough fluid into them. So if you're looking at about 120 mils um, per 10 pounds of body weight, so if you can't force them into orally, the next thing you can look at do is considering give, giving them sub-Q fluids. So I mean, just asking your veterinarian for an IV fluid and a drip set and having them show you how to do it properly. Because say, I'm going to treat my dog at home. Can you show me how to give sub-Q fluids? And they can, and so that's something you can be doing at home. And then next thing, if they're not 
feeding that's next most common is then look at hand feeding or obviously force feeding your dog once again. And that's where you're gonna get one of those liquid high calorie diet, Hills Prescription AD or Yukonuva Maximum Calorie. And you add a little bit of water, you mix it up into a bit of a slurry, get a 30 to 60 ml syringe once again and force that into, into their mouth. And typically you're looking at about a can of that food per 10 pounds of body weight daily. And so you'd spread them out, you're gonna force into them over throughout the day, you're not gonna give it all at once. But those, so it's supportive here. It's a combination of using some of those alternative options to make your fat less nauseous, hopefully take away some of the inflammation and then supportively treating them, make sure they don't get dehydrated. They maintain their weight by having enough adequate nutrition. Well, the inflammation drops and they heal. The last part of today's podcast I wanna discuss is about bone cancer or osteosarcoma in dogs. And primarily this month is National Pet Cancer Awareness Month. So a little bit about bone cancer or osteosarcoma. It's common in medium to large breed dogs. The bones of the legs are most commonly affected. Most dogs first intermittently limp and progressively limp often as a tumor grows from the inside of the bone out. Typically at this point you're going to see a swelling at the end of the bone and it's firm and generally painful to touch. What are the causes? I mean we don't know for sure obviously with so many types of cancer. But no question, think about genetic, think about environment, exposure to smog, herbicides, insecticides, pesticides, the foods that your dog is eating. some of these chemical preservatives, these artificial flavors, artificial colors. We know there's such a big interaction of, you know, what we're exposing our dogs to, repeated vaccines, too many conventional medications, what they're being exposed to externally, the environment, along with the combination of genetics. A little bit more about bone cancer or osteosarcoma in terms of, you know, specific breeds, et cetera, et cetera, that you should be aware of. So when you start to look at the the sizes of dogs that get it, it's generally it's large dogs and extra large dogs. So these extra large dogs by far have the biggest incidence, a huge incidence. Next down the large dogs, we virtually do not see bone cancer in the small. So these dogs that are sort of 20 pounds and under, generally we don't see bone cancer in the in dogs of that size and those breeds. In terms of the average age to get it, we're looking somewhere approximately eight years, but it ranges between eight to 11 years. But that's a pretty typical age, you know, an eight-year-old dog. Um, There's certain breeds that are higher incidences. We're looking at greyhounds, uh, where they have an average age of 8.6 years, but they have a prevalence of almost 6% of the greyhounds are going to get bone cancer, which is a huge percent. We're looking at a teeny percent um, on average of 2% in the overall dog population. We're looking at almost 8% of Rotties. Uh, so almost 4% of Rottweilers can get bone cancer. We're looking at an average age of 7.6 years, a little about 2.5% of Great Danes, an average age though much younger, just over six years of age. So now what are some of the solutions? We're obviously first getting a better diagnosis. You know, here x-rays are the diagnostic t- tool for osteosarcoma. On the x-rays, you're going to see new bone production, bone breakdown, and the classic sort of sunburst effect. Bone cancer is most common at the end of the long bones that I discussed earlier, such as the end of the femur of the back leg, the humerus of the front leg. And it doesn't cross the joint. It's pretty classic on, on x-ray wise. You're going to see it. And I'll actually put put a picture of a dog that has bone cancer. I'll, I'll put up the x-rays uh, as part of the image for the for this podcast post and also on my blog. A couple more things you should be aware of though. First, bisphosphonates. These are used to treat osteoporosis and to help lower calcium seen in certain types of cancer in people. The most common bisphosphonate is oral adrenalate or Fosamax. In bone cancer, they can inhibit the osteoclast. So these are the cells that cause the bone lysis, as well as directly kill bone cancer cells and can be a great source of pain control. 
If used, you need to discuss with your veterinarian. The dose is 40 milligrams per day for a large breed dog or 70 milligrams every other day. What are we eating? Yeah, do not give your dog food or supplements containing iron. Cancer cells thrive on carbohydrates and proteins, but cannot grow as fast with fats. Certain veterinary diets have been designed for this, um, but you can also make your own low-carb, high-fat cancer diet. And I'll put the exact instructions for this after this podcast. You want to keep your dog eating. Pets with cancer often have a reduced appetite. It's really of utmost utmost important that your dog is continuing to eat. You can try warming up their food, adding a tasty liquid or broth. Some dogs can respond better to the smell of garlic. You can try to add garlic powder. You want to make sure that they have adequate pain control. It really is a painful type of cancer. You can consider some of the mild anti-inflammatories such as aspirin. Uh, The aspirin dose is 325 milligrams. That's one regular tablet for 40 pounds of body weight given twice daily. Give a quarter of a tablet to 10 pound dogs. And if you're seeing side effects, such vomiting diarrhea you need to stop. I recommend the uncoated aspirin. Obviously, your veterinarian can prescribe much stronger pain relief medication, uh, such as meloxicam or the narcotic pain control meds, such as tramadol. Antioxidants, they've been shown to slow the growth and spread of some types of cancer. Vitamin C, vitamin E, and selenium seem to be most effective. Vitamin C dose, 100 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. Vitamin E dose, 100 international units per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. Selenium dose, 25 micro per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. Flavonoids, um, these are part of the supplements or the structures that are found in the coloring of fruits and vegetables, so that outside coat of the fruit or the vegetable. You know, one sort was quercetin found in apple peel, apigenin, isoflavanones, genistin, the flavanols. In particular, you want to focus on getting a mixed bioflavonoid product that can, contains poly- polyphenols, but particularly EGCG. Um, this is a specific flavonoid isolated from green tea. The dose for a 10-pound dog is 250 milligrams daily. Essential fatty acids, you want to make sure you're in high doses of the omega-3 fatty acids. You want to look at 1,000 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. Um, so you'll be looking at either getting flax oil or you're looking at a tablespoon for 40 pounds of body weight given twice daily or, or fish oil. Vitamin A has cytotoxic or cancer-killing effects at high doses. We're looking at doses of 400 industrial units per pound of body weight daily. Arginine, this is an amino acid that appears to enhance immune function and may inhibit the growth of some types of tumors. The arginine dose is 250 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. Glutamine, it's an amino acid that may be helpful in inhibiting tumor growth as well as dealing with the adverse effects of chemotherapy. The glutamine dose is 500 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. There's a couple of different you know, immune-stimulated mushrooms that appear to have anti-tumor activity. Some of these include reishi, mitake, and shiitake. The dose is 25 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. Curcumin, which we've discussed earlier, we're looking at one, it seems to be helpful for the beneficial effects, the si- avoiding the side effects of chemotherapy. Two, um, it seems to have specific anti-tumor properties. We're looking at higher doses of the, the curcumins. We're looking at the 95% curcuminoids, and we're dosing it at 250 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. Some people will consider acupressure. It's a little hard to discuss the acupressure on a podcast, um, but I'll give a list some of the specific acupressure points. First of all, BL60, the KI3, these are really good, and what we're specifically doing is helping to deal with the pain and inflammation. So the BL60, KI3 point, and I'll just 
describe this so you can find it easy enough. I'm on your dog. Just lift up your back, your one of your feet, your left, your right foot. I'm on your Achilles tendon. There's a flop of skin just underneath that Achilles tendon between there and the bone. So on the outside is outside of that point is called the BL60 point. The inside of that is called the KI3 point. Hold your thumb and forefinger on your skin just enough to indent your skin. Now just hold that for 30 to 60 seconds. And it's a great one. Two things. One of the things is a great one. One to help for just localized pain relief. Secondly, too, it's thought that it helps to tonify the qi. And this is a whole theory of Chinese medicine. The other way to use acupressure, I'm finding, especially for our animals that have localized things such as a bone tumor, is you, is you want to use palm acupressure. So just put it, put your palm directly on top of that, the cancer site. And you just want to visualize that you're passing healing energy from you into your dog. And you're starting to normalize some of the energy flow. Because ideally what you want, you want your dog's immune system to super react and actually deal with those cancer cells. Will it do any do will it do any harm? Not at all. May it do some good? Yeah, yes, it may. So go ahead and try doing that twice daily to your dog too. It's something to consider, especially if you're open to it. A couple other things to think about. One, our wormwood or tramycinin. Um, it's been researched and studied at the University of Washington. The way it works, when the active ingredient comes into contact with cells that have high iron concentrations, which is very common in cancer cells, the molecule becomes unstable and some of the cancer cells die. There's a range of doses. A typical dose is 20 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. Definitely, it's one of the most important alternative remedies if you've got a dog that has osteosarcoma. Some other ones to consider. There's other important herbs and combinations or formulas. There's one called Essiac tea. The other one is called the Hoxy formula. This is a tonic herbal support you can think about. There's one include which includes one part red clover, one part dandelion, one part garlic, one part astragalus. We're looking at a tincture dose of com- combining all those. One mil for 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. And lastly, I want to mention a couple different homeopathics. One is Thuya. It's the first homeopathic, the many homeo- homeopaths advise for any type of canine cancer. We're looking at a dose of 130C capsule for 20 pounds of body weight twice daily. And the last one is Silesia. It's for common, many of the common dog tumors, including lymphosarcoma and osteosarcoma. We're looking at one 30C capsule, pretending 10 to 20 pounds of body weight, one to two times daily um, for 30 days. Well, thanks you guys for listening to this edition of the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. I hope you got some good information out of it. If you have any questions or concerns, I'd love to hear about them. First, you can post a comment after my blog where all my podcasts go, or you can, or you can send me an email directly to me, Dr. Jones, and that's at podcasts at veterinarysecrets.com. Once again, thanks for listening. I look forward to talking to you again next week. This is Dr. Jones.